Hello and welcome back to the There is a Floodlight That Never Goes Out podcast. As always, I am joined by Ed and Will. How are we, gents? Uh, I'm really good, thanks, Tom. I'm good, thank you as well. Good, good. Uh, on today's podcast, we're going to have a little chat about the fight for survival at the bottom of the championship, um, sort of towards the end of the pod. Um, but the main body of the podcast today is going to be taken up um, by some chat about the events that transpired at Old Trafford yesterday. Um, so, yeah, sorry if you tuned in expecting the usual review of the championship, but we felt that this sort of overshadowed anything that happened on the pitch this weekend. Um, so kicking it off then, Ed, what was your first reaction as to, to seeing the protest? Um, it's one of happiness and one of pride in the English fan base. Um, mm. A slight bit of surprise that it would be Man United fans who would go as far as to breach the stadium. Um, I don't want to use the term, the storm in the Bastille, but um, the idea of revolutionary. But what it was great was to see direct action against the big six and against the owners of those clubs and causing disruption to you know, the biggest game of the Premier League season, undoubtedly. Yeah. One of the biggest money earners. Uh, you know, and, and that was also interesting, wasn't it, how Sky, you know, Carragher and Neville aside, they changed their yeah. tune. I mean, that's right, Sooness. No surprise that he <laughs> was uh, not in favour of the protest, but no one yeah. seriously listened to his opinion. Um, but no, I thought, also highlighted the issues with policing at football and the, you know, um, extent of force they used against many peaceful fans. Numerous videos being circled around online. Mm. I've, you know, I've seen it firsthand at Wednesday, um, and everyone knows that the, the police um, go way out of the requirements when, when policing football fans. But no, it was one of happiness, one of pride, um, and, and a great move for the game. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack there, Ed. Um, but I'm sort of going to talk about the, the policing to start off with. I mean, yeah, you mentioned it. Football fans for years have been treated like, you know, like we're all hooligans and thus deserve to be battered and, you know, like that we're, like we're cattle. I mean, I think it's disgusting the way the police treat football fans. And, you know, I know that Greater Manchester Police are probably held in higher esteem than SYP around here. Um, but yeah, from my own personal experiences, I think I think football fans, you know, they they're dealt too heavy-handedly um, by the police, and the fact that they're saying these protesters because one policeman got a cut in his face. I mean, it's, it's beyond words. I mean, well, I'm going to bring you in on this. What, what do you think about this this sort of aspect to it? <clears throat> I, I think it's a really difficult one because you know. It, the media plays such a huge part in this issue and that is you know from our perspective sat at home what we see um is completely media controlled because you know we weren't there yeah. and you know i'm not just going to sit here and say you you've sort of big media companies <laughs> the bbc sky etc they will show the football fans in a bad light and you know they have done for years now but at the same time on twitter and stuff you'll see videos of a policeman restraining a football fan and again if you don't see that in full context it, it's it's easy to make a quick judgment when you know you don't know the full story and that's on both sides of the fence so it's really hard to sort of make a judgment would, would you agree though that there is a problem with 
just an innate belief in police men and women that when it comes to football fans they are dealing with a sort of almost subhuman species and it's no let's call it what it is here is it's glorified bullying in my opinion I, I think it's the same as in a way i think it's same as the protest in the police which is the majority are there to to in a peaceful manner to get on with what their what their plan was to do and you know the majority of protesters were there yesterday in a peaceful manner and that's same where you know there's a few idiots who ruin it and that's the same and i think that's the same in the police i'm you know i think the majority are there to do their job and will do their job very effectively and then there'll be a few who abuse their power too much and then it's sort of you don't want to in the same way all football fans don't want to be labeled as hooligans i think it'd be unfair to label all policemen and women as against football fans that's a very good yeah. point. I, I don't mean to come across like I am tarnishing all police from that brush because I know it's a very, very small microcosm of them that do abuse that power. It was simply really a comment on the fact that there shouldn't be anyone abusing their power like that, much like there shouldn't be any football fan turning up to that event and causing bodily harm against a police officer who's there, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. to protect their own, you know, their own safety. Yeah. Um, no. I, I think another big issue was, you know, this protest many man united fans have said you know this was it was in the works for at least like a week or so like this wasn't just a rock up on the day kind of thing you know people had planned to do this and so in my opinion there should have been the correct police in there in the first place because you know a lot of blame was put on these stewards at this at the ground and i just think you have to put yourself in their shoes you know they're probably some teenager or whatever working on you know minimum wage not much above what what why why should they have to try and put themselves at risk to stop thousands of football fans from doing whatever they want to do because i I think it'd be very naive to say that anyone in that position would have stood up and tried to stop these fans because you know there was literally about five or six of them at points with hundreds of people trying to get you know into the ground and i think I don't know any blame for me pointed at the security guards or the stewards is very unfair. Um, and yeah, I, I think yeah, there should have been the proper policing in place in the first place who do have, you know, they know how to control a crowd and would have been able to prevent it. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I, I agree with that. I mean, yeah, some of, some of the sort of you know, stick that's being leveled at that stewards think it's mindless. I mean, if you've got 20 plus, lads running at you what are you going to do it's like what are you going to do stop one um so yeah yeah i, I think it's it, it's it's pretty silly to, to to sort of say it's the stewards fault and yeah you're right will that this this protest has been in in the in the pipeline for for a week and if not longer people literally said you know when we saw the protests at stanford bridge at the emirates said well our one's gonna be against old trafford on on the on the 2nd of May, when we play Liverpool, and yeah, it was poor preparation. Um, but you, you talked a little bit there about how um, the media controlled, a, to a certain extent, what we saw of the, of the events and, and what light they wanted to portray them in. Um, without signing to, um, I don't know, to David Icke, to Lawrence Fox, um, MSM bad, um, Ed, what what did you make of, of Sky's coverage of, of of the events? 
wholeheartedly hypocritical. Um, you know, you contrast that with how they were reacting to the Super League. And, you know, the Super League, as we've later discovered, was always going to be, you know, something where clubs stream their own games. So, you know, undoubtedly Sky thought, right, well, we can just attack this because this is going to bring us harm if it, if it goes ahead. All of a sudden, when the biggest game of the season is under jeopardy, and, you know, let's face it, the likes of Graeme Souness are controversial at the best of times. Dave Jones, I don't want to pin any blame on him because he has that role. It's, it's like when the Gary Neville racism thing came out. You know, it yeah. came out, but, you know, we, Neville quite rightly said all this stuff about racism and Dave Jones said, you know, that's your own views. He doesn't mean that. Of course, they're wi- widely agreed. But it just showed the hypocrisy of, of Guy. Um, and you've got to give credit to Neville and Carragher because they they are really making themselves martyrs here in a good way. Yeah, and, they, they and stuck to the word, didn't they? They didn't. They have. It, it was. It was. I was laughing. It was quite ironic how you know you had those that up on the platform, and then you just had Neville and Carragher stood down at the bottom, and it, it literally felt as if that you know they were the you know the four up top with Sunes, King, Mika Richards, etc. They were kind of this. They were standing. It. I don't. I don't want to say they were against it, but they were definitely for me saying that what happened on that day was more bad than good. Whereas Neville and Carragher seemed more than happy that it, that had happened. And I'd, like you say, I definitely think it's a case of when their pockets being hurt. You know that they, they throw a bit of a different reaction, don't they? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, massively. And you said it earlier on in the pod, Ed. But why does it not surprise me that Thatcherite Graham Souness, rather than being on board with the people's actually levelling it as a United Liverpool thing? It it was so strange. I mean, the main comment that most people picked upon, and I'm going to pick upon it myself, was that well, if you if United were winning trophies and dominating leagues, this wouldn't happen. It didn't happen under Fergie. Um, yeah, it did. Um, this 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 is they said keep it peaceful and United fans have kept it peaceful for fifteen years while two point one billion pounds. And even now it hasn't got rowdy. It hasn't got yeah. Obviously the injured policeman aside, which none of us um, agree with, obviously. Yeah, we don't call that. It was it was all done peacefully in the main, and without this sort of action, you're not going to get anywhere. That's what people are finally starting to realise, which is a good thing. Um. Mm. It just highlighted the hypocrisy. Also, on Manchester United themselves, um, you know, the Glazers talk about wanting to rebuild trust. Again, just massive, you know, hypocrisy it was there. Never there. They never was had it. it. it was never there. No. Yeah. So, you know, Sky, the Glazers, everyone's putting on this all of a sudden the facade that they're somehow, you know, for the game, then for the people, then for the game. It's just confusing. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. They. It just highlights their self-serving interests. People like Carragher and Neville are the ones truly sort of carrying that beacon for for the everyday football fan. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It, it was just you know hopefully many more to come. Um. Or an outcome we all want to happen. Obviously, in the case of my United fans, that's that's the Glazers gone. There's a lot of for me. There's a lot of sort of different strands of things people are protesting about now. You know what I mean? Yeah. We've got yeah. the Super League, we've got ownership, we've got individual ownership like the Glaciers, we've got increasing ticket prices, all these sort of things are now sort of colluding into one big 
pot, if you like. And hopefully, one by one, we start ticking them off. But without action like that, we're not gonna. That's not gonna happen. Um, I would just like to say, um, I think while I was very for the sort of the direct action of the fans standing up for something they believe in, and I believe in that across all walks of life. You know, not just football. Standing up for something you believe in, I think is you know it's very necessary. But I do mm. almost think, in the grand scheme of things, that protest yesterday was pointless and i know that sounds very like dodgy and controversial you've got to look at this from the glazers perspective and while yes that's happened yesterday realistically they're not just going to go ah you know what then fine we'll sell up like that that's just not going to happen do you know tom you mentioned that they've faced opposition for the however many years they've been in, in in charge at manchester united not yeah. once have they even remotely looked like backing down. Um, and I think this idea that if the Glazers leave, then some new owner's going to come in and everything's going to be great is just completely like so naive. Because yeah. Man- Manchester United as a business is absolutely massive. So immediately, mm-hmm. it's a very, very minute amount of people who could even be in the picture for taking over at Manchester United. Every single one of those people, to be in the position they are, are going to be very similar-minded to the Glazers. Well, yeah, we, we, we spoke to Kieran Maguire about this, didn't we, on, on, on the podcast we did with him, and I asked him, how realistic is it for Manchester United to be able, be, be able to be sold? And he said, you know, how many people is there in the world who can afford to buy Manchester United? Mm-hmm. It's not a question of whether or not the Glazers are willing to sell. It's who who who's willing to buy, and you're literally talking. I mean, there's obviously there's many people who could afford to buy them. You know, people like Jeff Bezos, people who actually have sporting interest or want to. I think what's the terms? It's sport washing. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of the these states who abuse human rights, but then go on to buy football clubs like like the Sheikhs have done at City. Um, Listen, there's there's not many people who can buy them. In. If Manchester United are saying let's get rid of the Glazers, they're morally reprehensible people, um, they're terrible people, and they've withdrawn a lot of money from the club. That's fair enough. That is that. Yeah, that's fair enough. But then if you go, who are you going to replace them with? In the go, um, probably a shake. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And no. if you want a fifty plus one rule. How would that be implemented in England? Can't just do it in one club. It would yeah. have to be a game-wide sort of sort of reform. And with with this Tory government, I'm sorry, but I just don't see it happening. It's a case of we saw a few days after what after sort of the, the sand had settled, or sorry, the dust had settled, that it turned out Boris Johnson had a meeting with Ed Woodward five days before the Super League had even been announced. So it doesn't surprise me that as much as Boris Johnson says, oh, yes, I, I agree with the fans, um, he won't actually do anything. It's a facade to, to retain Northern voters and act it like it's one is. of us. I mean, he can't remember the last football game he went to. He said that himself, didn't he? You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, so, I, and that's the problem, is that that comes back to the populism thing and, and this yeah. idea that, unfortunately, you know, the people in the communities around us um, see... 
and I don't want to get too political because it's a footballing podcast. No, this is a, this is a very political the, the, thing, though. They, they see him as this sort of saviour for the working class, and somehow they don't see him as part of the London elite that they hate the likes of Corbyn for, or you know the likes of Starmer, and you know the, the, you know the likes of those politicians who they say, well, they're just the London elite, aren't they? The Islington Club, all that sort of thing. When you got ex Bullingdon Club, Boris Johnson, never, you know, never lived like they've lived. Blah, blah, blah. But, but then they see him as this. Oh well, he loves football. No, he doesn't. Right. Yeah. It, it, that's the problem. Is it's all this populism. Like you said, the meetings beforehand, they only sort of they showed what we all knew would have been the case. This was sort of reactionary. Let's get a few good, you know, few good ratings in the polls. And then in four years' time, whenever we have an election, we can bring this back up as all what we saved. We, oh, and Brexit saved uh, saved modern football. You know, mm. um, that's my issue. The thing about Will is that um, I, I find that attitude quite defeatist. And maybe this ties into my own political beliefs, this idea of a sort of, you know, utopia ideology, whatever you want to call it. But, um, you know... I think we can't go in. I don't think the the protests at Man United transcended Man United, transcended the Glaciers. That's how I see this. Okay, the black and white of it was it was against the Glaciers, but the massive grey area is that this was about ownership in the modern game in general. And if you go in with the attitude that you're not going to get anywhere in any sort of walk of life, any situation in life, you're not going to get anywhere. That's a, that's a simple fact, and this isn't about all oh, manifestation or any of this sort of thing. Get your crystals Backers, out. This, this crystal isn't. Skulls. This Get isn't about out. that. <laughs> this is about a simple fact of life. You've got to go into something with conviction and believe in it. And we've seen that conviction has shown in the Super League protests that stuff, massive decisions, can be overturned, and that these big tycoons can be beaten. It, well, you know what I mean. I, I agree with you. I do agree with you. But, so, from a Manchester United fan's perspective, I think it, they would be lying, the majority of Manchester United fans, when they actually think about it. I know a lot of people are calling for a 50 plus 1 rule. And for many clubs, it would work very successfully. For a team like Manchester United, whose fan base repeatedly... You know, want these top of you know top end players, these hundreds of million pound players. The fifty plus one rule for them, if you if you implement a fifty plus one rule, it absolutely ruins any investment in the club, because not many investors want to go into a business with a club who run under a fifty plus one rule. It's what we've seen in Germany. It's why they struggle to keep hold of expensive players because they don't have that much money. So you have to you have to yeah, be realistic. You, you have to oh, think about it from a. You're either a fan who's in love with your club, which a lot of them are claiming they are, but realistically, if they become a club who all of a sudden aren't getting all these top talents, are then going to start kicking off about that as well. You've got to learn you can't have it both ways. Definitely, yeah, it it can lead to a monopoly in this country, at least you know, we we sort of have a, a little bit of pluralism in this country anyway, don't we? But I think it's a case that if Manchester United became a club that was, let's let's be honest, let let's tell the facts here. Fifty plus one doesn't mean that Manchester United fans own half the club anyway. It means they have voting rights, but it also means that these shares are only in the club's name. 
they're not owned by anyone. Um, so it will be very hard for investment um, in the club. Like you said, Will, at what point do you go, well, we can't bring in these top talents anymore, but you you have voting rights in the club. Is it worth it? Um, and also, I talked about the new buyer. A new buyer would have to clear around £700 million worth of debt so who's going to do that in the first probably... place <laughs> like, who, yeah. Who, like yeah what businessman is going to do that and then take on a business where they don't even have full voting rights like yeah. who would actually do that the government that'd be the yeah. only possible way the government buyouts yeah, you know, but... they can spend 15 billion whatever on new defense budget you know they have the money there but it would t- yeah but it would there's take no the chance they'd do the it government... No Take the piss if the government bought half of Manchester yeah, United. Like, I think even, even from a football this, fan's this is, even from a football fan's point of view, oh, I wouldn't want them to do that because no, it, it just far better. It just it's like far better. Yeah, I don't know. Spend money. It was it, it was that was simply a oh, no, your yeah, question. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, me yeah. genuinely saying the government should <laughs> buy buy football clubs back. This was part of my point about why, I, as soon as they wanted the Super League to happen, I was happier than you two to let that be the case was because you get rid of the top six and implementing 50 plus one in the rest of the English pyramid is far easier. Okay, that's going to then, you know, create a pretty much unbridgeable gap between the top six and the rest of English football. But I wasn't too adverse to that um, on, on a sort of, um, on a moral yeah. standpoint. I think it'd be a bit shit. I mean, yeah. That, yeah, I, no, I, no, I, I, I understand that. And obviously, yeah. there was, there was the, I, you know, I can... I said it at the time, and I'll say it again. At that point, there was a large part of me thinking, hang on, six clubs go. What's that going to mean for Wednesday? Oh, hang on, we stay <laughs> off in the championship. ta yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but no, I, I think that, like I said, the, the, the protests we saw on um, against, uh, you know, the Man United-Liverpool game transcended that issue. It was another example of a top six club taking direct action. We're only going to see more of it until something changes but yeah how that changes it is yet to be seen um you know the cronkers at arsenal they don't look like they're gonna be going at all yeah you don't see any of that top six changing except maybe fsg i i just think with fsg they're not i just don't see them as resilient as the cronkers and as the glaziers mm. they just yeah. seem to have a bit of frailty I don't know. Fair, I think you call it resilience. That, I'd yeah. call it just like being a knobhead. I think <laughs> like I think the Glazers are more knobheady than FSG, and FSG are pretty big knobheads. So that's an impressive thing to do. But I think yeah, like, that, I they're agree, more like I agree with listen. you that. Yeah, my sports group have sort of have passed for making mistakes, but then ratifying them. Um. So. I, I don't I, I I agree with Ed that they're probably a little bit weaker, but I also agree with Will that they're probably just a bit you know, not great humans, but they're probably a little bit more receptive to fans. Whereas, like you said, Ed, right at the top of the pod, Glazers literally haven't had any trust with United because they've not. Joel Glazers never spoken to the fans. The Glazers bought Man United in two thousand and five, and not once have they addressed the fans. How mental is that? That is mental. You know, what other club in the world would that be accepted? Yet until a Super League comes around, it's okay at United. That's why I think English football needs looking at it in this whole scenario. Yeah, the Glazers are terrible, terrible human beings. 
the fact that they were allowed to, to to commit a leverage buyout upon Manchester United, probably one of this country's greatest inter- institutions that was prior to them debt free for a hundred years. The fact that that was allowed and that the opposition of the fans wasn't listened to by the FA by the Premier League is disgusting, and it makes you think: could it happen again? Mm-hmm. And the fame proper test is complete opposite you know what I mean that the ownership yeah. it's any any man and his dog can just walk in and say I've got this amount of money and buy a club and, and ruin it you know um, yeah. yeah I mean I've not got much more to say on, on the on the Manchester United issue um, and, you know it, it, it was definitely a great starting point but you know these things only work you know the storm of the Bastille only works <laughs> if you have you know all the events afterwards, and I'm not saying yeah. the execution of anyone. <laughs> Let's not go that far. Everyone <laughs> say all, 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 head all, all the, all the implementation of any sort of terror um, from a committee of public safety. But you know, I think these things only work if you compound them with more and more, and eventually, <clears throat> you know, good will triumph. I but think, yeah, I think then, as a whole, football fans need to be careful what they do because. As we've seen over the last 24 hours, the media love nothing more than to make football fans look like all of us hooligans and these awful people. And so if you give them the slightest bit of that, it's only going to turn people against them. You know what I mean? You have to almost go about this in the right way. And like Ed said, a terror would not be the best idea. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I agree with Will in that. Football fans have to be careful because it's it's a tough one. Um, because I've said it before, before these American owners, before the the oligarchs, before the sheikhs, English football um, sort of did have a reputation for being um, a, a sport for the for the hooligans. And yeah, it, it it's a tough one. Um, but it more needs to be done. What can you do? whilst you just sit there and let it happen. I mean, I've seen so-called United fans. I'm not even going to call them United fans because they're just not. Who were saying, oh, you shouldn't protest the Glazers because we might not sign Sancho. I mean, what is this mentality? Well, well, that's someone who isn't... Um, that's someone who isn't a Man United fan. They're a fan of Man United having good players and stuff. And <clears throat> sadly, we've seen a lot of these top six teams... Now have a large majority of these sort of fans, who who aren't yeah. fans of the club, they're fans of, I don't really know what they're fans of good football, and these are the same people who probably won't even care if a Super League happened, and they're the sort of people who, when people stood against the Super League, were saying, well, how is it that bad if we get to play PSG every week? They just don't get it, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think there's an alarming amount of people who are like that, and from a proper football fan's perspective, it's hard to comprehend how they think like that. Yeah, I mean, I mean today, um, Kieran Maguire said that um, the Glazers could be persuaded to sell Man U, but only for £4 billion. I mean, that was just his opinion. But that's sort of going into the, you know, just how expensive it would be to get rid of them. Yeah, so and how it. improbable. You're talking a £4 billion bid to then take over a club who are in hundreds of million pounds worth of debt, I not I think you would have to be insane to do that. Like 
the amount of money that we're talking about here. I think if we were going to see it happen, it'd be more a group like FSG or someone, not an individual, in my opinion, because there's not many people in the world who are that rich enough to even do that. Um, I mean, is there anything else you want to talk about on this, lads? Because I think there's another quote that I'd like to send it off on, if if, if not. Yeah, no, no, that's, no, that's everything from me. Um, obviously, we're going to chat about the championship after this, but um, it's a nice Tony Ben quote to sort of end this uh, what a section off, which is, um, we are not just here to manage capitalism, but to change society and to define its finer values and... I think that's a really good quote on um, sort of English football ownership at the minute. Moving on then um, from that chat, which I think was very interesting, um, to the battle at the bottom of England's second tier. Um, Ed, we've got to start off with you as our resident owl. What did you make of uh, Wednesday's board draw with Forrest? Lifeless, <laughs> uninspiring, depressing. Uh, yeah. And that's just to name a few words. Um, yeah. You know, the fact of the matter is if we are in a miracle situation right now where we can still, you know, survive in this league. Um, I, I praised the guy a few weeks ago after the 5 nil drubbing, uh, drubbing of Cardiff. I'm going to slate the guy now. <laughs> Adam Reach. True Wednesday um, style, <laughs> this, isn't it? It, it is, Pickle. but, you know... Pickle. It's not even fickleness. Anyone in the fan base can agree. Adam reached that game was, you know, appalling. Not just yeah. his technique. Didn't, didn't put up good crossing all game. You know, genuinely, I've never seen someone run up and down that line. No, sorry, walk up and down that line as slow as he did. half assed <laughs> times 10. It, it was absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah. Kadeem Harris... You know, thank God his contract's coming to an end because a man who started out so brightly, you know, when he came last season, he just, end product was genuinely abysmal. Um, Windass, our, our brightest spark again. He looks destined to go. Uh, the penalty, you know, definitely gave oh, me some man. sort of... Just, that was, that it, was odd. It wasn't odd if you've watched us week in, week out, though. It was like, it was just so expected. Um, fair, fair enough to Westwood for saving it, but I think we really should give credit to Graben for missing it because, yeah. uh, you know, it was just depressing. And then after that, you sort of thought, right, this is it now. So then obviously, watch the Swansea derby game. Tom Lawrence scores the header. You're like, that's it. Au revoir. Um, and then, you know, derby do it do a Wednesday or, or themselves at the minute because they seem to have a knack, of, knack for, for dropping these leads um, Morgan Whitaker, for uh, you know if you're a Rams fan now you wouldn't be happy yeah you know this is sort of shades of George Hurst when he went to Rotherham that season was a bit arrogant in his um, you know interviews I mean that turned out well into zero goals this mm. season um, then um the the Connor Roberts volley was incredible, by the way. Yeah. Like, that was a great goal. Questionable keeping from Roos, but, you know. Um, and then, obviously, Rotherham win getting a last-minute equaliser. That, for me, is huge. 
because that means now Rotherham need one win out of their next two to basically stand us down because they're five goals ahead of us in goal difference. And, yeah, um, surprised we managed to grape another chance of survival. Not going to mm. come, come to fruition, of course. Um, I, I said to you off air, so the dream situation would obviously be for Wednesday to stay up. I think that's undoubted. You know, that isn't going to happen, unfortunately. Now the dream situation would be for Rotherham, and this is going to continue with our anti-Derby agenda, which I don't think does exist, but for the purpose of the podcast, it, it exists. let's accentuate this, this, it. This prophecy will confirm it. Um, so, Rotherham beat Luton midweek, sends us down, so we're not, obviously it doesn't mathematically, but realistically, it would be at least six goals needed to overturn goal difference-wise. That means we don't go into Saturday with some false hope that we can actually get anything from this game. Any sort of letdown that Wednesday inevitably provide is eradicated. We're going to that game on Saturday. Derby know they need to um, they need to win and Rotherham to not win, basically. Rotherham lose that game. All the time, Derby are knowing they, if they can get a point, if they can get a win, they're safe. We beat them, you know, get some Rams tears. There won't be any Wednesday tears because we'll have already know we're not going to that game with nothing to play for. Rotherham stay up. Nothing against Rotherham personally, um, you know, and everyone's a winner. That would be the dream for me. See us, you know, us and Derby to go down if Wednesday aren't to stay up. Well, there you go. <laughs> Rams fans, um, well, I'm not sure there will be many listening after our antics of previous weeks, but any Derby fans that were have now left the room. Um, it's no, nothing personal, I, I, it's just I want yeah. to see. You know, it is completely personal. Oh, against... <laughs> <laughs> it's completely personal against Mel Morris and his ownership of the club. It's nothing against Derby fans. They do steal our chance. They do have a massive sense of false entitlement. But you know what? Mm. So do Wednesday nights. You have a massive sense of false entitlement at times. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. yes, we're a bigger club than them. But you know, they are one of the. You know, I would Baseball. say in the champion, we are a bigger club than Derby. I'm not, not getting into that nonsense, nonsense of an argument. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, let's just move on from that. I would say, yeah. you know, that's two of the biggest teams of the championship going down apart from Forest. So it'd be, you know, it'd be a, a real shame for the second tier. But, you know, Listen, I, I, I'm, I'm big enough to say... It'd be poetic if Little Lord Barnsley well, went up in the same year that their massive <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday and Derby went down. I, I'm um, big I enough to that. say we deserve to be punished for our actions. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and there's also a sense yeah. of, um, you know necessary evil relegation is a necessary evil in my eyes to rid the club of the current planet has and force a shift whether that be ch a change of ownership or simply just a change of a st of style and approach by Chancery because he can't continue with what he's doing in League One it's as simple as that so if that needs to happen that needs to happen both us and Derby will go down there in real turmoil um, and you, you, I don't think you'd be you'd be very hard pressed to find a fan a neutral fan who doesn't like Rotherham. I've, you know, yeah. as a squad, yeah. they've been dealt a really tough hand. I love Paul Warren, and it, you know, fair enough for them staying up. And I just really don't want to go into that last game and have ninety minutes with some weird hope that we can stay up and then be inevitably let down. You know what I mean? I value it, it, my heart. But, I don't but want why? That like I don't understand. Yeah. Wednesday yeah, fans as a whole seem to be like. I don't know, like, Barnsley fans but, at this point no. of the season, we were literally going into the final two games 
playing Nottingham Forest, who were based in the playoffs at that point, and Brentford, who were pushing for automatic yeah. promotion. We weren't sat there going, don't give me any false outlook, saying, come on, we can actually it's do not this. That. It's not that. I think what it is, is that, and this isn't like all virtue signaling or anything like that, <laughs> is that we don't, we don't deserve to stay up. And like I say, it's that necessary. You either. don't deserve to stay up, but I'd still like you, as a fan, you still want to stay up. It, it's not because <laughs> I I care about the longevity of this club and the longevity of this club. If it was to get stay in the championship, would not change. That's the problem. League One would force a shift. You know what but I mean? Would it? We've seen other clubs, Sunderland, no, etc., who who have gone off the same thing of they they were struggling loads, big club, falling down, and look at them now. Okay, this season, you know, to be fair to them getting some results they, together they, they've gone down and it's took a couple of seasons of pain um relative pain you know let's let's call it what it is it's not been like they've been right in the doldrums and they've made themselves into more of a profitable sustainable club as an ethos god's got a new owner in and they mm-hmm. look on upwards trajectory um it, it's a difficult one ed because i've i've seen it a lot of times with with clubs going down to league one refreshing and coming straight back up and Look at look at us a couple of years ago. Hull this year. Hull. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't want year. to. I don't want. Oh, let me let me say it straight. Let me say yeah. this on the record. Okay. Um, I want Sheffield Wednesday to stay up. Okay. Mm. Let, let me get on that. Yeah. Any football fan who says they don't want their club to stay up, that's the heart. My head, however, says to me, you know what? Relegation would not be the worst thing. Yeah. But, but, but if you look, if you look from transferis perspective like most teams who get relegated are relegated because the team they have isn't good enough y- your team is good enough and I, no I, it's not no it is though it is, it it is, is good enough is. and i will not your hear this shit about than, on paper it's better than huddersfield it's better than bristol but rotherham are a team on, who don't on, have on a good paper. enough team Wednesday have got on paper. On paper. It's not reality. On paper, it's better than ours. Of course, it's it's better than it's better than three quarters. So, of the so if you go down, paper. why on earth would Chancery say, you know what, they're absolutely right. We need to rebuild this team. That team, if they actually perform how they're supposed to, would walk League One comfortably. <laughs> a lot of those players, you know, Nick has had ten players without contracts, and they are even if we stay up, I think they're unlikely to renew because you know we've got to mention yeah. that um, wages have been failed to pay this april so you know why would they set the club i would rather have a rebuild in championship you'll be skint in league one i i that comes down to cash flow issues actually in covid so hopefully Mm. as as the world opens up again so will his ability to transfer money um that isn't about transfer actually having the money money it's all tied up in assets and stuff like that I'm not a businessman. I don't know the ins and outs of it, surprisingly. <laughs> You're sounding but, a bit like Philip Green here now. <laughs> and that's the biggest insult you've ever paid to me. Um, no, I just think we need this sort of perjury, this cleansing. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. And but you're, I not, understand you're not guaranteed it, though. Like you're not guaranteed yeah. anything in life, though. Well, what I'm saying though is that we. <laughs> so it's only based off that. Surely we, we can't. Rather... We can't. We can't have that in the championship. You know, this is this is me saying this is me being the, the bigger man and saying actually for longevity of the football club. Yeah, it would be nice to say a championship another season, but I would bet my bottom dollar that we would go down next season because this squad. And I know you guys looking from the outside looking in say, well, it's a good enough squad. And on paper, yes, it is a good enough squad. But this isn't paper, this isn't FIFA, this isn't statistics, this is real players. 
Okay, two, three years ago, they might have been the dog's bollocks, right? Now, though, they're not. It's as simple as that. But but if um, you, for me, if you're going down into League One and you're doing a League One rebuild, you're going to have a team which is League One standard. Even if it's good yeah, League One standard. It's also about the manager, though, Will. It's also about the manager. We, Darren Moore, their man who's, you know, track record is young, hungry players. I yeah, young, good, young, hungry players. I would rather see... I would rather see and I started to check here. I would rather see a young, hungry team, maybe a season in the championship, get used to each other, bond, all that sort of thing, with a few loans in, few free agents, you know, all that sort of thing. Have a season of mediocrity, maybe a top 10 finish, possibly a playoff place that doesn't come to anything in the end. Then next season, pr- proper push. All those players are developing constantly, up back to the championship in a better place than when we were in the championship this year, you know. And look at likes of our neighbours, Sheffield United. Two seasons in the Championship and they're up in the Premier League. But that's so Six rare. Years in League that's one. so rare, though. Uh, like, not Six everyone... You, you're not just going to be able to oh, do a Sheffield oh. United. To be, to be fair, though... It's not as rare as you think. Uh, no. To be fair to Ed, look at us. Yeah. But, but this how is our many... second year in the league. This, this yeah, but how many... I, 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 well, well, I remember, I remember the start of the season. I remember the start of the season... I I take no shame in admitting I watched the likes of Type CV and and all your fans reacting when <laughs> Struber was about to go, you know, quite rightly saying what is happening to my football club. I I empathise with you. I laughed a little, you know, friendly banter. <laughs> now look at where you are. You know what I mean? Yeah. You had a vision. You had a model. And I think if Chancery needs he needs to go. That's you know first thing. If he's Adam on staying, if he can change it around and implement a different model. League One is the place to do that, in my opinion. Because I don't think you can implement such a massive shift like you guys, to an extent, tried to do. Look, you should have been relegated last season. You, you weren't. I've got no grudges against that. Wigan fans will tell you otherwise. But another another season, you know, you'd have been down in League One and who knows what happened. I, mm. But, you know, don't think I'm being defeatist. Oh, and I'm, saying, yeah, yeah. You know, send us down, please. No, of course I want to stay up. But what I'm saying is relegation would not be the worst thing for Sheffield Wednesday Football Club. And in a lot of aspects, would be better than staying up and then inevitably going down next season. Because that is what yeah. I think would happen. As yeah, I, listen. Sorry, Ed. But, but this has just got to be a bit of a disclaimer, though. None of it's final. No, no. So it's it's all right as having this, this chat now, but I think it's, it's probably all better off. Yeah, it's probably I can, better I can off when we're doing you. the Wednesday season review. Well, I can, I can guarantee you when, uh, yeah, I'll say, yeah, of course, you know, I don't want to rant about Wednesday too much because no one likes yeah. listening to that. Well, maybe yeah. you two do, but I certainly <laughs> don't. Um, I can guarantee you this time next week, if we're in the championship, all this will be forgotten. And, yeah. you know, yeah. but that's the fickleness I of a football fan. For me, Ed, I, clearly, I can't tell you much about Wednesday's UCAM. But from the outside looking in, the problem at Sheffield Wednesday this season, and I know the Wednesday fans blame the players week in, week out. It's, for me, it's not the players' fault. It's not their fault that they've had about 14 different managers in one season. It's not their fault yeah. that they haven't been receiving the wages some months. That is undoubtedly going to reflect in the performance. You can't expect <laughs> a team who to say, you know what, forget about everything else going on. I'm going to be on the top of my game under a different manager each month who play completely like contradicting styles of football 
I'm not getting my wage, but you know, apart from all that, I'll be great. That was never going to happen. So I think the I problem at Wednesday is the management and the ownership, and that reflects on the players. Under Darren Moore, if you actually keep Darren Moore in and let him do what he does best, I have no doubt that your team can become a very good team. I understand that. I agree with your sentiment, but let's you know, let's not pretend like the last few seasons have been you know all rosy-faced happiness because it hasn't. There's been this continuously gradual decline. That decline is obviously sharpened this season. But let's not forget the end of last season. You know, we, we barely won. We, I think last home game we won last season was like just before we went to lockdown against Charlton. You know, I mean, didn't, didn't win a home game since then. It, it was dreadful. And the players getting paid on time. Gary Monk had been there and was starting to establish himself. So those factors weren't an issue there. Of course, the issue of this club, and this will be my final word on it because, you know, this isn't a Wednesday-centric segment of the pod. But um, obviously the final sort of, uh, person to blame and the obvious one is Chancery and I completely agree with that but let's not act and let's not sort of fool ourselves into thinking that um, everything was good before this season because you could see this coming from a mile off just like I think you'll see it with Bristol next season possibly you know mm-hmm. those clubs that are in sort of steady decline it will catch up on them and it's caught up on us this season Yeah, I think that's a really good way to end it um, and like I said, there there is going to be season reviews and what to play for as it stands going into the final fixture. Um, and even if Rotherham do win the Kenilworth Road, look at the playoffs last year. It was a yeah, six goal swing. Oh, yeah. it, happened. I mean, I mean, it happened. Let's talk about it just very quickly. What are your guys' predictions for who's going to stay up? I feel Wednesday. They're going to stay up. I'm not even doing this to, to Joshua. I'm I'm not even taking the piss. Sheffield Wednesday gonna stay up. Um uh, I almost agree because I just as much as I want Rotherham to stay up, I just don't see them really winning the games that they need to win. Um Luton have been such a hard team to play against for any team in the championship. That's the last sort of team you want to be played in the situation they're in. Um and I think if it comes down to Derby Wentz on the final day of the season, it's just Jordan Rhodes will score like a 10-minute hat-trick or something only and they'll stay up. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree as well. I, I it, wish I could share your optimism. <laughs> it's a Derby Wednesday shootout. You're going to win that game. Yeah. Um, well, what, did, what do well, you see? Like, I know you said what you kind of want to happen, Ed, but what do you actually see happening? I think Rotherham Luton is such a hard game to call. Really is. Because mm. Luton... Rotherham Cardiff then. Let's say Rotherham drew yeah. Luton. Call call Rotherham Cardiff Derby Wednesday. Rotherham Cardiff. Big Mick. The reverse fixture. I seem to remember Rotherham got robbed of two penalties at least. Um, I I would see that one. I could see that being a draw. You know, what I mean, a one-all draw. It depends if, if Harry Wilson turns it on like he did against Birmingham, then, you know, they've got no chance. I mean, he was un- un- incredible. And as for, Barnes, uh, as for Wednesday Derby, um, it's like two clowns fighting each other. It's what it is, you know what I mean? It's... Have you seen that YouTube title, Two Retards yeah, Fighting Each Other? Yeah, and I didn't want to say that's that. That's what it is, isn't but it? It's, you'll definitely see that meme. Um, yeah. it, it... I think a, a big thing is, for me... 
I know as much as it pains me to say, when you beat Cardiff 5 0, there's no way Derby, even on their best day, would win 5 0. The know, blessing you know for mean? us is Derby don't seem to be able to find the back of the net. Um, That's what I mean. They're just Which will mean they'll score four against us. <laughs> so, <laughs> they'll win. No. They're going to come and beat Wednesday 5 0. That would be uh, something. My final prediction, though, is that Rotherham will stay up. Um, yeah. And I don't want people to think I'm defeatist and. You know, I want us to go down. It's just heart versus might, and you know they both are thinking differently at the minute. Um, well, but yeah, well, like yeah, like I said, as it stands, it's all to play for. It is. And Ch- t- Tuesday um, will will will. Well, um, you know, it's, it's a massive game, yeah, and uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm buzzing we're, that we're... the playoffs are sorted with because my full attention, <laughs> even the yeah. Barnsley in the playoffs, my full attention is on this relegation battle. I know. I, I not be involved never in thought I'd say it, but I'm rather enviable of Barnsley fans right now. I should be brilliant. But yeah, it is. Um, if you've listened to to this point of the pod, we really appreciate it. Um, I think it's been quite the eclectic podcast. Um, let's just say the least. We've we spoke about the Glazers. We spoke about Tony Ben. <laughs> spoke about Ed's League One hypotheses. Um, but yeah, yeah. Really Polish that tended to be a rant. That was not the <laughs> no, no, it's... <laughs> um, yeah. um, it's just beautiful. Thanks for listening. Sorry. No, Sorry, I was just going to can... say it would just be beautiful to uh, Ed going on that rant, and then they'll stay up. And it was, I never had any doubts about this. You know, Wednesday oh. the plays are so brilliant. <laughs> you know, Adam Reach is basically messy. You know, I, I, that's what it'll I, be I, like. I can tell you categorically, I unapologetically <laughs> will do that. You know, unironically. <laughs> Uh, just to show the fickleness. Do you, are you sure you don't want me to remember in my um, Robespierre quote that revolutions weren't made with rose water? You better believe for my uh, history exam, that's he's a banker. That. So oh, that's we we do a lot of things on this podcast, but giving you A level history tips is one we're just giving you one of quotes to use. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm not sure it's one to end on, but it's one to think about. Um, yeah. Later in the week, we're going to have a brilliant podcast coming out with the uh, head of football uh, in the Northwest at Reuters, Simon Evans, coming out. So keep your eyes peeled for that one. It's a genuinely brilliant podcast. And um, uh, this coming Sunday, um, is it the 10th, lads, or is it the 9th? It's the 9th, Good isn't question. it? Good <laughs> question. Um, I only just realised it was me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the 9th this Sunday. Uh, um, we're going to have our biggest, our best podcast yet where um, face cams are going to be introduced for the first time and we're going to be doing an awards ceremony in which we'll be sat in our spare rooms or our bedrooms in our house with a suit on. Um, so look forward to that. Um, as always, you can find us on Twitter at FloodlightPod. If you're listening on YouTube, please do drop a like and subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify, follow us. If you're listening on Apple, please do subscribe and we'd love it if you gave us a review. Thanks for listening. Cheers, guys. Cheers.